So, we are officially reaching the end of a series that we've been busy with called Back to Basics, Principles for Successful Living. So, if it's your first Sunday here, there is good news. You can go onto your favorite podcast platform and you can go and find all the podcasts from the last eight weeks and listen through them if you so desire. I pray that you so desire. Um, but as for us today, having coming to an end with, with this series, um, we've been talking through these, through, through essentially the Ten Commandments. Why? Why on earth in 2018 would we talk through the Ten Commandments? You see, behind every commandment, there is a principle. And I believe that it is these principles that lead to a successful life in Christ. So, as we've spoken through it a bit, we can look at these as rules, as, as regulations. We can, we can look at these and, and see them as restrictions or, or, or laws, things that hold us down. Or we can recognize God's heart behind it. We can recognize God's intention with drawing our attention to them. Ultimately, His intention is to protect us. His intention is to direct us. Why? Because He loves us. And ultimately, He wants us to look more and more like His Son, Jesus, every day. Isn't that the truth? Why? Because that is ultimately His best for us. Now, if we're honest, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we often just see a whole bunch of do's. I mean, don'ts, isn't it? Like there's like one or two do's and the rest are all don'ts, you know? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't lie, don't, don't, don't. And after a while, it reminds us of that parent that we may have had growing up, the don't parent. It's either one or the other, or it's both, right? But we've always got a don't parent, isn't that the truth? You know, don't throw the cutlery into the blender. <laughs> Who had that? Maybe you just weren't that child. I was that child. You know, don't dip your fingers into your milk and then shove it into the wall socket. You know what I'm talking about. Don't. And if you're honest, all you really wanted to be is just free. You just want to be free. <laughs> you guys are looking at me as if you didn't have that parent. Or, or that parent who's just, who just says, you know, don't run out into the street without looking. And like, it just rises up inside of you and you're like, I want to be free. <laughs> run out into the traffic, not you. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? How do I know that you had a don't parent? Because you're alive. <laughs> That's how I know you had a don't parent. You're here today and you're alive. And somewhere, someone cared enough to say to you, hey, don't do this. Why? Because your life will benefit from it. You may get to see your 18th birthday. You see, so often we consider our freedom of choice. We all have freedom of choice. Isn't that the truth? 
God gave us free will. But just because we have freedom of choice doesn't mean that the choices that we make leads to freedom. You see, God's commands are there to protect us. His principles are there to direct us. They are there for our good and not, not, not to restrict us, but to protect us and to direct us. So, today as we look at the, at the last three principles, um, we look at the last three commandments here. Why are we going to do three commandments on one day? All of you are like, Dude, we've done one a day. Now you're doing three on a day. Why are we doing that? Well, because I believe with all my heart that, that these three speak into the same principle. There's, there's a golden thread that runs through these three principles that tie them together. Let's go have a look at them. Exodus 20 verse 15 to 17. It says this, you must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Those are the three commands. Those are the three principles. If we had to read it in today's terminology, We'd read, you mustn't take what's not yours. You mustn't lie about your fellow man. You must not be greedy and, and, and desire and, 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 and want and, and covet your fellow man's house. You must not covet his wife, his staff, his bucky his motorcycle, or anything else that belongs to him. Make sense? I think an ox reminds me of a bucky, don't you think? <laughs> Depending on what motorcycle, possibly also a donkey. Uh, moving right along. So yes, we can cover these three all individually. We really can. But I believe that there's this golden thread. There's this golden thread that really links these final three together. And I believe that there's no better place to see these than through the words of the brother of Jesus. Where he comes and, and speaks to us in, in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. James says this to us. He says, what is causing these quarrels and fights among you? What's, what's, what's causing you to fight? What's causing you to argue? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Don't they come from this place of selfishness, self-centeredness? Don't they come from this, this place that isn't God-honoring? <clears throat> he says this, he says, you want what you don't have. What does that sound like? coveting. You want what you don't have. So you scheme. You make plans. You lie. You connive. So you scheme and kill to get it. He takes it pretty extreme. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. 
So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You steal from them. You cause damage to them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you do, I just got excited and run ahead of myself. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. What's he saying there? He's saying, he's saying when you ask, you're actually lying to God. Why? Because you, you're asking, pretending like it's for a reason, but your motive's completely different. Your motive's wrong. You know, it's like I remember as a kid going and asking my parents for money. You know, can I have 10 bucks? Can I have 20 bucks? Then they'd be like, what's it for? And then I'm like, if I told you the truth right now, you'd never give me the money. So what's like a really good reason for you to give me 20 bucks? And then I give them that reason. Ultimately, when I get the 20 bucks and I go and do whatever I want to and it comes out, my backside burnt. Why? Because I lied. My motive was wrong. It's not saying that, that my parents giving me 20 bucks is a bad thing, but my motive behind asking my, where I was coming from wasn't right. And that's essentially what, what James is saying here to us, is that we, 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 are, we, we don't ask so we don't get. But when we do ask, what's the motive? And how do we approach God? Are we honest with God? Are we truthful with God in these moments? I think firstly, we have to be honest with ourselves. Hey, what's my motive? Why, why am I asking for this? And then he clarifies it and he says, you want only what will give you pleasure. So I hope that as we've spoken through that, we can, we can see these, these issues of, 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 of stealing and lying and coveting coming through the words here of James. You see, folks, all of this leads to one place or all of this comes from one place and it's called a lack of contentment and that's that golden thread that runs through there. A lack of contentment. What's a lack of contentment? A lack of contentment is being blind to what we have and focusing on what we don't. Being blind to what we have and focusing on what we don't. You see, if we're all honest and we just had a sober moment, we could sit down and consider, hey, what has God placed in my life? What, what do I have in my life? And I'm sure that if we start writing up a list and we stop feeling sorry for ourselves, we could probably write a list as long as our arm, if not longer of how God has taken care of us, how God has blessed us, how God has really just filled our lives with good things. But far too often we're stuck in this place where we're so busy looking at our neighbor and the house that he has that we don't and the wife that he has that we don't, the husband that she has that, that we don't, the, the, the motorcycle, the car, the job, the staff, the oxen and the donkey, all these things that they have that we don't. And we get stuck then and, and it leaves us in this place of, of, of discontent. And I don't believe that it is a good place to hang out. Because if we sit in that place long enough, the truth be told, 
It won't be long before we are willing to lie and steal to get what we covet. You may be sitting there going, Ramon, that's a bit, that's a bit far-fetched, dude. You know, that's like a bit of a stretch. Aren't you taking this thing a bit far? You know, like I've never robbed a bank. I've never, you know, held up a liquor store. I've never, you know, held up someone in their home or hijacked someone. And, and those are the things that we think of when we think of stealing and and, you know, white-collar crime, some Ponzi scheme where old people have had their pensions stolen and stuff like that, you know. Like, that's kind of where our minds go when it comes to this, is, is the big blocks. But what about the little things? What about the little things? Consider your job. Consider your place of employment. So if we get caught up in this place of discontent, then there's the stuff that we want and our salary just doesn't cut it. So we've got to do what? We've got to make other plans. We start these sideline projects. We start all this other stuff to try and fill this gap. Not to fill our need really, but to fulfill our want. And through these little sideline projects, what happens? We sit in office hours and we just quickly make a call you know, to try and get this thing through. Or we just quickly use the photocopier. It's only three pages. I mean, that's not really even a tree yet. And the amount of toner, you know, we're good. <laughs> and then we get approached by someone like management of sorts. So, man, did you use the copier for something else? Like they've somehow put some tracking system on the thing. You're like... In the back of your mind, you're like, dude, it's three pages. Give me a break. So what's the answer that comes out? No, not at all. Not at all. So right there, I've lied and I've stolen to get what I covet. Small. Small. But we draw the distinction. God doesn't. Theft is theft. Lying is lying. Just out of a matter of interest... I went, we went and looked up this thing of time and time in the workplace. It's shown that the average employee spends 20% of their work day on social media. 20%. It's like, that's not too much, 20%. You're giving them a good 80%. If you break that down, 20% turns into a full work day a week. A full work day a week that you are busy liking unliking, angry face, commenting, a full work day. Isn't that theft? Isn't that you've been employed for a reason and, and God has given you a job with which he's asked you to honor him with, not a boss, to honor him with. And yet somehow we think it's, it's okay if we just, I mean, dude, come on, man. It was just an hour. It was just an hour. You see, folks, for me, it always comes to this thing of the line. You know the line. We all, we all wonder, where's the line? You know? We started thinking, where's the line when we were teenagers? And the hormones started flaring up. And then we started thinking, dude, where's the line? You know, what can I get away with? Like, is kissing okay? If kissing's okay, then, like, how hectic can this kissing get? And then where's the line on that? Or is the line like the belt? You know, everything north of the belt is fine, but everything south of the belt is like the line. Like, where's the line? 
And we find that as we push that line, that line shifts. And after a while, that line doesn't just shift, but that line gets really blurry. And before we know it, that line doesn't exist. You see, most folks sitting in prison today, somewhere along the line, they just nudged the line. You know, it was just like, it's like very close to legal. There we go. Just shifting that line. And again, before they knew it, the line no longer existed and they were standing before a judge and he changed their lives. How do, we, how do we work past this? How do we work through this? How do we look at the discontent in our lives and go, Lord, Ramon might be going a bit extreme now, but, but I get that these things lead somewhere. Lord, how do, I, how do I not allow for the discontent in my life to really take root in my life? Well, the counter of discontentment is contentment. Here's, here's what Paul said. So Paul, Paul was uh, an interesting character. You know, Paul was this guy who, uh, he was like a, a really well-known Pharisee, meaning a religious leader of his day. Uh, he had title. He had prestige. He probably made a pretty good salary. Uh, he looked to be like a pretty solid member of society. Uh, and he set out to persecute Christians. Why? Because he felt like that was his calling from God to get rid of this cult that had just risen up. And ultimately, what we can say about Paul is chances are good that Paul had a moment in his life where he was pretty wealthy and pretty well known. And then he has this Damascus experience, this, 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 this moment on the road where God comes and hijacks him. Right there on the road. And, and Jesus comes and he says, hey, Paul, why do you persecute me? And, and Paul's entire life changes and he gives up all of that stuff for one purpose. And that's to see the good news of Jesus reach the far corners of the earth. So here's what that guy said. Paul goes and finds himself a, a young man by the name of Timothy and he mentors him and he speaks into his life. And uh, we have the awesome privilege of being able to have those letters that he wrote to Timothy. And one of them is found in, in 1 Timothy in chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. It says this, Paul speaking to Timothy says, Yet true godliness is, sorry, true godliness without contentment Dude, I can't read today, can I? There we go. Let's try that again. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You see, when he says true godliness, he's, he's, he's drawing a distinction. He's saying, man, when, you, when your life is sold out to Christ, when, when, you, when you've embraced God wholeheartedly, it's called true godliness. And this true godliness, when you, when you find your satisfaction in that, when you find your contentment, your joy, your peace, your love, the, the grace that you need, when you find all of that, in this life, sold out to Christ, man, then that's real wealth. 
Not what you have in the bank account. Not what's standing outside here in the, in the parking lot. Not, not, not what your mates think you earn. But right there, that's, that's real wealth. That's true wealth. Why? Because at the end of the day, folks, wealth can't buy peace. Fact. Wealth can't buy peace. I know many, many very wealthy people who are very fearful. Let's move on. I can see this. Okay, so he says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And we can't take anything with us. When we leave it, you've never seen a hearse with a trailer. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Do you have enough food? Do you have enough clothing? Ladies aren't allowed to answer that one. See, Paul didn't just speak this. He didn't just preach this. He didn't, it, just, it wasn't just a theory to Paul. Paul actually lived this. We, we catch up with him in, in the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4 verses 11 through 12, he's writing to the church in Philippi and he says this. He says, not that I was ever in need. And right there you're going, see Ramon, the dude was rich. He was never in need. He had all the money he needed. Let's keep reading. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Changes the picture, but I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Catch this next phrase. I've learned the secret to living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Paul here claims that he's found a secret. He's claimed that he's found a secret to living a content life. What's the secret? I'm so glad you asked. Let's go look. Philippians 4 and verse 13 is a scripture that we can quote verbatim, most of us. And it's the very next scripture. And it says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Some of you may know it as, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying true contentment is found through a life in Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can bear all things through Christ. I can live in any situation through Christ who satisfies me, who gives me strength, who shows me how to live, who protects me, who directs me, who satisfies me, who leaves me content. And as I say that, you, you may be going up, you know, wow, Ramon, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever lived in that place 
with Jesus. And I, I believe that it's so often because we hang on to the cares of this life and we hang on to the cares of this world. And, and what Paul's essentially asking us to do is he's essentially asking us to live with an eternal mindset. He's asking us to live with eternity in mind. You see, too often we live in a space where, where we focus on the here and the now. We focus on the, on the seen and the, the, the tangible. You know, we focus on our bank balance. We, we focus on our neighbor's bank balance. We, we focus on, on our health. We focus on our wealth. We focus on our family situations. We focus on all these things and we get caught there. We get stuck there. And Paul's saying, hey, we need to start thinking a bit further than just that. We need to start looking beyond the next heartbeat. We need to start looking to the point where the heartbeat stops. Paul Wright last week spoke to us about it. We, we need to look beyond our next breath. And we need to start looking towards the day that this life comes to a close. That we realize that this is just a dress rehearsal for what's coming. That we can realize that this is, this is just the opening band to the main show. That there's something far bigger, far greater coming. And that we need to start living for that day. We need to start putting our minds in a place where we are thinking towards that day. And when we do that, then our lack doesn't matter. Why? Because then God becomes our fullness. Jesus becomes that contentment in our lives, knowing that, hey, this is temporary. And we should stop treating this life as permanent and recognize that there is a permanence that's coming. We need to live for that. We need to live with eternity in mind. Consider everything that we've spoken over the past couple of weeks, that we've said over the past couple of weeks as we've worked through the different commands and the different principles attached to them. What have we said? We've said we need to live a life that puts God first, eternal mindset. We need to live a life that gives God everything, an eternal mindset. We need to live a life that does not carry His name in vain that does not carry his name lightly, that does not do evil in his name. We need to live lives that find our rest in him. We need to live lives that honor the authority that he has placed over us. We need to live lives that keep our anger in check. We need to live lives that protect our relationships. We need to live lives that are truthful, that are honest, that are content. As we look at this, we realize that all of this speaks into living with an eternal mindset. Right now, I want to try something different. Paul, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, as we said. And Paul was exceptionally close to Timothy. Paul was really the spiritual father of, of, of Timothy. And earlier on, we read the first part of the scripture 
But in 1 Timothy 6, from, from verse 9 is where I want to start, through to about verse 15. Paul comes and, and, and speaks to Timothy the way that a father would speak to a son. This morning, I, I'd like us to do something a bit different. I'd like us to read this. I, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. But whenever it says Timothy, I want you to put your name in there. I want us to read this as if Paul is writing this to you. That Paul is writing this to you. Why? Because Paul was writing this to you. I believe with all my heart that as Paul wrote this to Timothy, he had believers in mind. He had us in mind. He had God's children in mind. Now you can choose to to sit there and just kind of listen and, and let it go by and that's fine. But I really pray that you'll live yourself into it and and sit there. Maybe you sit there with your eyes closed and just take it in. Or maybe it's going to come up on the board and, and, and you just read it with us from there. And take those words and let them ring true in your life. So as I read, forget that Ramon's on the stage. Imagine Paul is in this room with you. And Paul is communicating these words to you. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from their true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Brad, but you, Antoinette, but you, Gerald, are a man of God, but you, Lazan, are a woman of God. Put your name in there. So run from these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you. And I charge you, I encourage you, I commission you before God and before Christ Jesus that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. When I say that, it excites me. 
When I read that portion where, where, where Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, it's almost like he's saying, the world lives a certain way, but not you. You're different, boy. You're different. You live a different life. You live in a different world. You live to different principles. And when I read that, I, I feel like he's speaking straight to me. Where he's saying, hey, start behaving like a child of God. Start behaving like the man that God has made you to be, created you to be. Start behaving, ladies, like the woman that God has called you to be. Fight the good fight of faith. We need to live with eternity in mind, folks. You see, contentment is ultimately just the overflow of a life found in Christ. When we talk about an eternal mindset, Jesus came and did this. What did Jesus do? Jesus went and he took the Ten Commandments. He took all the don'ts. And he said, instead of thou shalt not, I give you a new command, just love. Not thou shalt not, love. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. When I think of living a life sold out to Christ, I think of those two things. Love God and love people. And then I obviously think about a third, which is now go and teach people to love God and love people. Great commission. This morning, folks, where are we at? I'm reminded of a story, and I'll end with this. Worship team's welcome to come back. I'm reminded of a story that a friend of mine told me. He said he went into a small town. His car actually broke down, and he wound up in a really small town in the free state. And as he's in this little town, um, they walk past this church, and it's a beautiful church. And he said, they later on found out that it was the first building that was erected in that town, was that little church. So ultimately, everything else got built around the church. The church was really the center of town. The church was, was the, the central focus point of town. This place of worship was the central focus point of town. And then life happened and, and time went on. And before you knew it, the, the, the town grew and grew and grew and to the point where the, the church was very much not the center of the town anymore. Social activities weren't based around that. Uh, family events weren't based around that anymore. You know, businesses expanded and, and, and kind of drew people to another part of the town. And he said he walked past this church and, and he saw it was so beautiful, the architecture and, and, and. And as he looked at it, he realized that today, this is now a monument, something really beautiful. And it's there for weddings and it's there for funerals. And it's there for baby dedications or christenings or whatever they do there. But ultimately, this church has become a place for really nice photos. But it's no longer the center of what should be happening. It's no longer the center of life in this community. I wonder, somewhere along the line, God may have started out as the center. God may have started out as the central point in your life. But somewhere along the line, business happened and family happened and life happened. And all of a sudden, God became this thing that's really good for weddings and funerals and baby dedications. 
But life was never sold out to Christ anymore. That eternal mindset disappeared. And the here and now became really important. And God became this monument that once served a purpose in your life, but you kind of outgrew him, kind of outgrew his purpose. And this morning he's saying, hey, I love you. I want relationship with you. I, I want to be that central focus in your life. I want to be that, that, that place that you come and find your contentment from. I want to be that, that, that person. I want to be that relationship that fulfills you completely. That you don't need to go and run around and, and that there's a need for a list of ten to govern your life. But that ultimately you just, you buy in to the two. You buy in to loving me wholeheartedly. And from that place, I promise you the overflow will be that you love people the way that I love them. I promise you. And this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna have communion together because I feel like it's the best way for us to seal a series like this. For us to come and recognize that what we've just spoken through isn't a theory, it's a reality. You see, there was a time 2,000 years ago where a carpenter went to a cross to save your life today. Where the Son of God laid down His divinity and said, I come as a man for the cares of man, for the sins of man, for the sickness of man. I choose to take all that on myself. And today I choose to be the ultimate ransom that they'll never be able to pay. And right there, He created a way for God to be the central focus in our lives. Thank you. So this morning, what qualifies us to be able to take communion this morning? Do I have to be a member of this church? No, you need a relationship with Jesus. That's what you need. But I, I pray this morning, instead of getting you to stand or, or raise your hand or, 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 or something along those lines to really just go, Lord, I desire for you to be that central focus in my life again. I desire for you to be that central point that I get contentment from, that central point where I find my contentment. I'm just going to ask it right there in your seat. Do business with God. Do business with God. And if you need a bit of help, then let me help you out in this minute. Right there, if that's you, you don't have to pray it out loud. You just speak to God right now. It's not about you and me. It's about you and God. Lord, I'm sorry for living a selfish life. I'm sorry for running after the cares of this world. Lord, for, for getting caught up in the trap of comparison, for getting caught in the trap 
of discontentment. But Lord, today I, I recognize that somewhere along the line you became a monument. You, you were no longer the central focus of my life. You're no longer the, 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 the well that I dip from. You are no longer the, the love and the care that I tap into every day. You are no longer that relationship that I need. But Lord, today I want to change that, Lord. Today I choose to change that. Today, Lord, I, I want you to be the central focus of my life, Lord. Not just weddings, not just funerals, not just baby dedications, Lord. But ultimately, I want you to be the center of this life, Lord. So, Lord, today, I pray, will you come and take your rightful place in me? Forgive me. Thank you that you love me. Right there in your seat, just do business with God. There's no one chasing you, no one rushing you. Then as you've got the bread and as you've got the juice, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood that washes away our sin, Lord. We thank you for your blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, Lord. We thank you for your blood, Lord, that, 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 that is there for our healing, Lord. We thank you for your body that was ripped apart for us, Lord. Lord, this, this morning as we in our own time eat and drink, Lord. Lord, you said that we should do it frequently and that we should, when we do it, we should do it in remembrance of you, Lord. So Lord, this morning we choose to come and remember the good things that you have done in our lives. We thank you for all the good things that you have done in our lives. Right there in your seat, just think about some of the stuff that God has done for you over this past while. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. So, Lord, as we eat and drink, we do this in remembrance of you. In your own time, please feel free to take part. Lord, I thank you for your precious people that were here this morning, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your church that's sitting in front of me, Lord. Lord, I thank you that I'm part of your church. Lord, I thank you that as folks leave here today, that they haven't left church, 
Because, Lord, as your body, we are the church. Lord, I thank you that you will use us mightily this week, Lord. Father God, I thank you that we can pray this morning that you come and address our hearts. Each time complacency wants to set in, Lord, will you come and address our hearts in that moment? Will you remind us? Will you speak to us? Mark, Teresa, you are a child of God. Now act like it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can go out there today back into life as we know it. Lord, and that because of the reality of who you are in us, Lord, we can go and accurately represent you. Pray for your protection as folks travel. We pray for your courage as folks live. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.